0: From the newsroom of the Washington Post. How are you? I'm Hernandez from the Washington
1: Post. This is Cleveland with the Washington
0: Post. It's Ellen Nakashima with The Washington Post. This is Post Reports. I am Lina Muhammad. It's Tuesday, December 15th. Today, the first person to get a coronavirus vaccine in the US and a look at Biden's pick for Secretary of State.
2: This has been a huge week for coronavirus vaccines. Yesterday, we saw the widespread rollout of the Pfizer vaccine to healthcare workers across the country. And then today, the FDA has released its data showing that Moderna's coronavirus vaccine is 94% effective. So there's a really good indication that we'll have two approved vaccines against the coronavirus by the end of the week. My name is Ben Garino and I'm a reporter on the Health and Science Desk.
0: So what does this mean for Americans who are waiting to be vaccinated?
2: Well. Vaccines are in high demand and short supply. So having two sources of production of these vaccines can help accelerate the rollout to get them to critical healthcare workers, to medical staff, to people in nursing homes. And the nice thing about the Moderna vaccine is that it doesn't have to stay super cold like the Pfizer vaccine. So the the logistics of getting it out to everyone makes it a little bit simpler for Moderna's vaccine.
0: So yesterday we saw the first person in the United States receive
3: the vaccine. Who is she and why did they choose her? So my name is Sandra Lindsay and I am the director of nursing for critical care at Northwell Health Long Island Jewish Medical Center.
2: Yesterday, a critical care nurse named Sandra Lindsay was the first person to receive the vaccine after it had gone through FDA emergency authorization. And she's been on the front lines of this pandemic since since the first wave.
3: I have been working alongside my team on the front lines since March, and we have not stopped.
2: She's unfortunately lost family members to this. And it's really important, I think, that she was the first person to do so because she's a nurse treating coronavirus patients. She happens to be from a demographic that's been disproportionately affected by the pandemic. She's Black. She's an immigrant from Jamaica who came to the United States about 30 years ago and has been working as a nurse for the past 26 years. Mm, She told me it was really important for her not to be first, but to have the opportunity to send the message that this vaccine is safe. She trusts the science. She wanted to show to people of color and minorities that haven't historically been treated the best by the medical system, that, that yes, this vaccine is safe for you to take it, to overcome that distrust that they might feel.
3: I didn't know that I would be the first and that I'd be the first black person to be getting the vaccine, but I think it just worked out really well to be able to send a message to the minority community that they should trust the science. And they shouldn't be afraid of the vaccine. What they should be afraid of is contracting COVID-19.
2: And then in her workplace to show to her colleagues that it's safe for them to get it, she said she wouldn't ask them to do anything she wouldn't be willing to do. So she wanted to to lead by getting the vaccine.
4: Mm.
0: What were the reactions to the first vaccines? Like both by the healthcare workers that got them and then by Americans in general who were like watching this and waiting.
2: You know, I, there was a, a big sense of hope. That's what a lot of people talked about yesterday. Um, after receiving the medical staff where I was at Northwell, that was a, a, a common note.
3: I just felt a huge sigh of relief, hope, and that healing is here and it's finally going to happen.
2: People in New York have just seen some really hellish weeks of the pandemic and and to finally have some some solid scientific-based hope here is is really valuable. There was a lot of applause after people were getting vaccinated. And then just seeing the social media reactions pour in, you know, people tearing up at this vaccine, at the injections. I think, you know, we, we've all seen really terrible things in, in this pandemic, and a lot of us have been affected personally. So to finally have a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel here, I, I think is a tremendous thing to see.
3: So the responses I've gotten is that I've inspired them. People now want to get the vaccine. People that were on the fence before um, is is now ready to get the vaccine. And that was my hope, that I could help people to to make an an informed decision. I am happy that my message resonated with them. Sandra Lentzi is a critical
0: care nurse in New York. Ben is a science reporter for The Post.
5: Today, I'm pleased to announce nominations and staff for critical foreign policy and national security positions in my administration. As Secretary of State, I nominate Tony Blinken. He's one of the better prepared for this job. No one's better prepared in my view.
4: President-elect Biden has selected Tony Blinken as his Secretary of State. He will be the Secretary
5: of State who previously served in top roles on Capitol Hill, in the White House, and in the State Department.
4: Really sort of a consummate Washington foreign policy
5: insider. Tony's been one of my closest and most trusted advisors. I know him and his family. Tony is ready on day one. Mr. President-elect,
1: working for you, having you as a mentor and friend, has been the greatest privilege of my professional life.
4: I'm John Hudson. I'm a national security reporter with The Post. Really, nobody knows Biden's foreign policy better than Blinken. Blinken might even know it more than Biden because he has spent all of his time, much of his career, over two decades exclusively advising the president-elect on foreign policy as both a staffer, a strategist, uh, and a communicator.
0: So what is the first thing that we can expect Blinken to do as secretary of state?
4: So he's got a huge amount of challenges before him. Biden has made a lot of promises that he made during the campaign that a lot of people are going to be watching to see if he fulfills.
5: I will join the Paris Accord because with us out of it, look what's happening. It's all falling apart.
4: He wants to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord made during the Obama administration that Trump withdrew from.
5: Find a way to avoid the onrush of war.
4: He wants to re-enter the Iran nuclear deal.
5: President Trump to rejoin The Iran deal and build on it.
4: Another deal that was made under the Obama administration that Trump ripped up. The only way out of this crisis is through diplomacy. Biden has talked about reassuring allies, uh, letting them know that sort of. America is back,
5: ready to lead the world, not retreat from it.
4: Really trying to counter program over four years of the Trump administration, who has really questioned the value of U.S. alliances, especially in Europe and East Asia.
5: The European Union has ripped this country off so much, it's unbelievable. I'm going to call them, and if they don't change, we're going to put a tariff on their cars until they change, and they'll change right away,
3: okay?
4: Trump was very skeptical about whether or not those alliances were paying off for the United States. Biden's outlook is those alliances are pretty much sacrosanct and need to be cherished and nurtured.
0: And how would you describe Blinken's view or philosophy to foreign policy?
4: Blinken very much fits into the liberal internationalist mindset when it comes to foreign policy. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it, it basically puts a lot of importance on humanitarian intervention. This idea that the United States does have values and it has a responsibility to intervene in different countries, maybe when there's not a huge national interest at stake, but Mm -hmm. if there is a humanitarian interest at stake. We
1: can't solve all of the world's problems alone. We need to be working with other countries. We need their cooperation. We need their partnership.
4: This idea has become more controversial in the post-9-11 era after the interventions in Iraq and Afghanistan, where a lot of Americans have grown weary of interventions and questioned whether or not the United States actually improves things when it involves itself militarily. Mm -hmm. But Blinken is definitely under the interventionist mindset, and a lot of it stems from his family background.
0: What is his family background?
4: Well, his grandfather uh, survived pogroms in Russia and moved to the United States. His stepfather is a Holocaust survivor, and he has this sort of emotional story that he also told during this, this nomination announcement that, that Biden made uh, a few weeks ago. For my family, uh, as for
1: so many generations of Americans, America has literally been the
4: last best hope on Earth. About the United States' role in, in helping his stepfather uh, get out. Samuel Pizar. he was one of
1: 900 children in his school in Bialystok, Poland, but the only one to survive the Holocaust after four years in concentration camps. At the end of the war, he made a break from a death march into the woods in Bavaria.
4: And, you know, according to their family lore...
1: From his hiding place, he heard a deep rumbling sound. It was a tank. An African-American GI looked down at him. He got down on his knees and said the only three words that he knew in English that his mother had taught him before the war. God bless America.
4: And so he has always depicted himself as very much on the side of American interventionism, standing up against autocrats around the world, even as that view has become less popular amid the the U.S. failures in in countries uh, where we have intervened militarily.
0: So how challenging is it going to be for Lincoln as he takes the reins from Secretary Mike Pompeo?
4: I think it's going to be immensely challenging. Some of the things will be easier than others. Rejoining the Paris Climate Accord, that's something that he can fairly easily do. You know, he can recommit the United States to the emissions goals that were set in the Paris Climate Accord. Mm -hmm. Reentering the Iran deal is going to be very difficult because the reality is it's going to be difficult to convince the Iranians that the United States is a country that can be negotiated with in good faith after they had forged this agreement with the Obama administration placed limitations on its own nuclear program. And according to the International Atomic Energy Agency and European allies and the international community in general abided by that agreement, the Trump administration pulled out and it reimposed sanctions against Iran. That has been absolutely crippling to the Iranian economy and, and change their politics. So, as Secretary of State, it's going to be a difficult job for Blinken to convince the Iranians to get back in. Uh, and in the meantime, the, the Iranians have expanded its own, their own nuclear capacity. And so, there will have to be a way to negotiate down all of the nuclear fuel that has been enriched and developed in that country and try to get back to a place where they can limit its its nuclear program and, and sell the American public on it as well.
0: How different is Biden foreign policy going to be under Antony Blinken than foreign policy under the Obama administration, which Biden was obviously a part of?
4: I think one of the main things to look out for in terms of differences is the U.S. relationship with China. We're in a very different place. During the Obama administration, there was really the notion that China needed to be cultivated as a partner.
1: The United States welcomes the rise of a prosperous, peaceful, and stable China. I want to repeat that.
4: There were obviously differences. Those differences needed to be dealt with. But it was time to really try to, you know, develop the relationship.
1: In fact, over recent decades, the United States has worked to help integrate China into the global economy not only because it's in China's best interest, but because it's in America's best interest and the world's best interest. We want China to do well.
4: Now, you know, post coronavirus, post the Trump administration, uh, there's a very different outlook, obviously in the Republican Party, but also in the Democratic Party, too, about dealing with China. And a lot of foreign policy Democrats have said that the United States needs to confront China more aggressively.
5: Now, I've publicly praised the president when he's tough on China at some political cost. I've said he's had better instincts on China than previous
1: administrations. I have repeatedly argued that core American values must be the centerpiece of our foreign policy. China's model is appealing, unfortunately, in all too many parts of the world. We must offer a better model.
4: Whether that's China's moves in Hong Kong, in the South China Sea, sort of threatening posture towards U.S. allies in East Asia, the Democratic establishment has moved more into the direction of wanting to confront China. And so that that's going to be a significant change from the Obama era. For everything we can see, Blinken also believes that China poses a significant threat. And so how they try to manage that they obviously believe that they you need to work and collaborate with the chinese the other question you know how else might things change from the obama era to the biden era you know, the the world has changed a lot. And so one of the things that the Obama administration had to grapple with was the Arab Spring, the civil war in Syria. Uh, there's even more fatigue about American intervention abroad than there was in the Obama era. And there was a lot of fatigue then coming after the Bush administration. They're really going to have to figure out what to do with a limited set of resources and, and a public that doesn't have as much trust when it comes to Uh, the United States in foreign policy leadership.
0: And how might relationships change vis-a-vis Russia?
4: President Trump really tried to improve relations with Russia. Uh, He wasn't able to, and largely because Congress tied his hands in his own Republican Party. Biden has made very clear that he wants to have a very tough posture towards Russia. And so I think the biggest change we see from the Biden administration is really draw the contrast between what the United States stands for as a liberal democracy and what Vladimir Putin's Russia stands for, which is a highly energy dependent uh, autocracy. Uh, You're not going to see these kinds of moments that happened with President Trump time and time again, where he would, you know, in some cases, side with You know russia over the views of his own intelligence services when it came to his view on russian meddling in the 2016 election
5: people came to me dan coats came to me and some others they said they think it's russia Uh, i have uh, president putin uh, he just said it's not russia
4: now that's also going to apply to a number of autocrats trump obviously cultivated something of a rapport with north korean leader kim jong-un
5: a letter was given to me by Kim Jong-un, and that letter was uh, a very nice letter. Oh, would you like to see what was in that letter? Would you like, how much, how much? But I just received a beautiful letter from Kim Jong-un. I, w- I can't show you the letter, obviously, but it was a very personal, very warm, very nice letter. I appreciate it. And I'll say it again. I think that North Korea has tremendous potential.
4: You know, he had met with him the first time that American leader had met with the North Korean leader, ended up doing it three times you know i think the biden administration is going to be much more cautious about engagement with the north koreans uh as well Remember, this is uh, we've been dealing with a president who has conducted foreign policy by tweet in a number of ways. Really shocking the global world when uh, he picks fights with the Turkish, you know, President Erdogan or picks fights with German Chancellor Angela Merkel. And we can definitely expect Biden to have a return to normalcy when it comes to that. No more midnight surprises via tweet. I wouldn't expect that. And I don't think any of his advisors are expecting that either.
0: But like, I guess my question then is, how do you come back from that? Like, as a country, I think, you know, the Trump's four years in in presidency have have changed how the world views the U.S. And so how is Biden going to be dealing with that?
4: Well, this is a president elect who has a lot of experience in government. It's not going to be difficult for him to turn back the clock and run a government in a fairly conventional way that US governments have been run. I think what is going to be difficult, and it's going to be a struggle for the Biden administration, is there's going to be this lingering notion of of the possibility of Trump coming back in four years. For President Trump, who has dedicated much of his time on reversing the policies of his predecessor, it's going to be very difficult for America's partners, America's allies, America's adversaries to make agreements with Biden, knowing that there is this stalking horse, this very powerful and popular figure in the Republican Party that could come back to power at any time and undo what Biden is setting out to do. That's very much a possibility, and that's going to be a a trust issue that he's going to be dealing with throughout his presidency.
0: John Hudson covers national security for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Now that the vaccine is becoming available in the U.S., we wanted to let you know about an episode we put out last week. It's a helpful look at understanding all the intricacies of the vaccine supply chain. We'll have a link to that episode in our show notes today. I'm Lina Muhammad. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.